Welcome to Women Read Scripture. We're so glad you're here with us today. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Drew Huffaker. And I'm Mariana Richardson. And it's great to have you here today. We are going to be studying 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 5 this week. And as we get started, um, I want us to think, first of all, that this record is about a real family with struggles, with challenges. They're living in a complicated wicked world, much like we are today. And we have to understand that these are real experiences they're having with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, and that we can learn a lot about how to be parents, how to be sisters, and how to get along with our neighbors and to love them. And so let's look for those little lessons that we'll learn as we begin our study of the Book of Mormon. You know, 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 1. How many times have you read that verse, Drew? What do you think? <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say hundreds, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way. I've started this wonderful book so many times, read it so many times. And yet, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that we're still starting with this first verse because I learned something as I reread it. I thought, oh, I know that by heart. I have it memorized. But I did learn something, and this is what I learned. We always start with Nephi having been born with, of goodly parents, which is an interesting use of a preposition. Therefore, I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. And so that kind of talks again about the power of the family, right from the beginning, from the very first verse, that this is about a family. And it also is about our families. When you talk about how Lehi and Nephi have all these problems with their families. I don't know about you, Drew, but I can definitely relate. You know, there's there's um, fighting. I mean, we all love each other. And I do think that Laman, Lemuel, Nephi, and Sam, their whole family, they loved each other. They did love each other. But they had disagreements and they had differences of opinion and other things that caused them to, you know, have those issues that we have today. But the part that I kind of gained a greater insight was three times in this first verse, Nephi says, in the course of my days, in all my days, in all my days. Now for me, I never really kind of thought that he was really writing this record at the end of his life. He's really looking back and he's thinking about all of these things that have happened to him since he was a young man to the time that he is now as having been a prophet of his people. And I contemplated too, as I get older and think about my days, I was also impressed with the fact that this truly was a personal history, that Nephi is sharing his own insights from his amazing life, his incredible life. And it was a life that all of us can learn from but I also contemplated how each one of us also has a story and that the Lord has been a part of each of our lives. And are we writing down those same amazing, wonderful experiences that we have had in all our days as well? And isn't that the essence of the scriptures, Drew? It absolutely is. And I love, if you think about it, the scriptures are just God's dealings with those people. Right? That's what scriptures are. And I love that one time you and I were talking and you were saying you were encouraging people to create their own family scriptures. 
And basically your journal is your record of God's dealings with you and your family. So to your family, they kind of become that. They're very sacred and holy. And I love that that you brought that new awareness to me to look at it that way. Well, and I love journal writing. It, it's just something that I really enjoy. And I have to admit, after reading this record, I think Nephi felt the same way too. And I love that he's older looking back. Um, it's interesting to think about, wonder if he was writing these as a teenager when his brothers were beating him up and they had to go do things. I wonder if his perspective has changed now as an older person looking back. So we have a lot to, uh, to think about too as he's recollecting things that had happened in the past. So um, these scriptures, our own journals and the physical scriptures that we have to study are very precious. And I love in First Nephi, this is chapter 5, verse 21, it reads, And we had obtained the records which the Lord had commanded us, and searched them, and found that they were desirable, yea, even of great worth unto us, insomuch that we could preserve the commandments of the Lord unto our children. So if you think about that, he wanted the records so he could preserve the commandments of the Lord. Now, Mariana, I'm not sure if our friends know. How many children do you have? I have 12 children. 12 children. Well, I you have a lot of children, too, Drew. I have six <laughs> children, but, well, and that is a lot today. But 12, I can't even imagine. That's yeah, just what a wonderful. And they are amazing children. <laughs> yeah. And my six are amazing, too. I have to put a plug for them. But anyway, um, can you imagine trying to, to raise your family without any knowledge of the Lord or his commandments or the scriptures? How would your life look different if you had no knowledge of, of God at all? Oh, I can't even imagine. Well, first of all, I don't think I would have had 12 children. <laughs> so why is that? So, well, I, because I do feel that, you know, the Lord helped and inspired me to have those 12 wonderful children. So I think that the Lord does help us in, in every aspect of our lives to be able to make decisions, to become the people that we are, and to have the families that we have as well. The, I love something else that you have said in the past, is it also allows us to get revelation for what's best for us. Because I families, think I, I think I may have died an early death having 12 children. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was, I was happy that the Lord gave me strength for the six I had, but all of us are individuals. Some will be inspired to do some wonderful thing, and somebody will be inspired to go and work in another part of the Lord's vineyard. And it doesn't matter what we are asked to do or what we do. The important thing is that we follow the Lord and do whatever He would have us do. Oh, exactly. And I do want to say, too, that numbers of children really does not matter or no children does not matter. It's what the Lord looks in our hearts and his understanding of us in our lives. That's the most important thing. And he has a specific mission for us to fulfill. Exactly. And maybe if I'm a, a woman that has never been married and never had children, maybe it's because I had to serve a certain pur purpose in life that would be very difficult to do if I was just completely consumed with my family. So we don't understand all of our roles and how it plays in the grand scheme of the plan of our Heavenly Father, but we need to have faith that 
if we stay close to him and listen to the spirit whispering to us what we need to do, that we can move forward with faith. And we're going to see that over and over again in these first five chapters of the Book of Mormon. Matter of fact, one thing that I thought was really interesting that was also a new insight for me was as I was reading about Lehi, and we really do have this record of Lehi for the first nine chapters. And then there's a, a kind of a change we're going to see in chapter 10 where it becomes more Nephi's perspective. So as we talk about the missions of people's lives, I was thinking about Lehi and Joseph Smith and the similarities between their both of their lives. In 1 Nephi chapter 1, we gained this um, beautiful revelation of Lehi. And I was very much impressed with how similar it was to Joseph Smith's first, first vision. It says, as this is Lehi's words describing it, and it came to pass that Lehi saw one descending out of the midst of heaven, and he beheld that his luster was above that of the sun at noonday. He also talks about how he saw a pillar of fire that came down on a rock. And I thought of these same similar, uh, and when Joseph Smith is describing his first vision, he talks about a pillar of light. And he also talks about how the Savior and the Father were the luster above that of the sun at noonday. And yet both of their lives, both the prophet Joseph Smith and Lehi, had also a lot of other similarities. They had trials, tribulations. Both of them were worried about their lives. You know, they were going to be killed. And of course, Joseph Smith was martyred and killed for his testimony. We also have interesting insights into their family dynamics in terms of Lehi, of course, struggled with some of the testimonies of his family. Joseph probably had a family that was a little more positive and supportive. But I'm sure that many of them also had some times when their testimonies wavered as well. And so as we think and ponder upon the prophets of the Book of Mormon, I think it's powerful for us to also think about our Latter-day Prophets and how similar their lives can be. As well. So another thing to realize is this whole idea of hard things. I think um, as we talk about the difficulties that were asked of Lehi, of Nephi, and the hard things they were asked to do, I was impressed with Nephi's ability to handle hard things and the promise he gave because of those hard things. Drew, I'm sure you have had some hard things in your life too. You know, all of us have had hard things, but I want us to think for a minute about Lehi and his family. What were the hard things? What were some things they were asked to give up? Okay, and as we read through this, I want you to think for a minute, would you be willing to give these things up? Are there other things that may, the Lord may ask you to give up at some point in your life? And let's just start with 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, And it came to pass, he departed into the wilderness, and he left his house and the land of his inheritance, and his gold, and his silver, and his precious things, and took nothing with him, save it were his family, and provisions and tents, and departed into the wilderness. So just think about that. We all have warm, cozy homes that we live in. We have food, and we have jobs, and we have 
beautiful places. We have friends, we have family that are close by. We have our ward neighbors. We have lots of things. And if you were told tonight in a dream, or if the Lord walked into this room and asked you to walk away right then with nothing except your family and maybe your 72-hour kits, <laughs> provisions to get you through for a while, how many of you would do that? Would you be more like Nephi and Lehi just walking away with pure confidence? Or would you tend to be a little bit like Laman and Lemuel and say, uh, this is kind of weird and this is a lot. My neighbors aren't being asked to do this. Why am I asked to, to and I have to leave? So I just think it's interesting that every once in a while we should measure it in our lives. What would we be willing to give up for the Lord if he were to ask us? And I think there are modern day I think so too. examples of people doing something similar to what his family was asked to do. Do you have any of those in your mind? Oh, I was thinking so much of missionaries, young missionaries and older missionaries that have basically given up everything to be able to go and serve the Lord for two or three years or 18 months. Homes, they give up cars, they give up phones, they give up so much of all of their worldly things to go wherever the Lord has asked them to go. Uh, we were mission presidents in 2008, and there were a lot of mission presidents who literally did have to give up everything because of the economic problems that happened in 2008, and yet they were willing and happily went. And what wonderful examples we have, modern day examples, of people who are willing to do the same thing that we might do. Well, and the wonderful thing is to, if, if you were to go and interview the vast majority of missionaries and mission leaders who have served and ask them, would you do that again? Do you regret oh, going on your mission? Of course they would. Yeah, they, they would be, they would give those things away again because it brought them closer to the Lord. It helped them be filled with the spirit in their life to have nothing to worry about except serving him. And so we have to think about that. It feels like we're giving things away, but he blesses us tenfold, a hundredfold. Just like if we're asked to pay tithing, same thing. It might feel like a sacrifice, but we get so much back in return that it really is not a sacrifice. I agree. Now, when we talk about Nephi, you know, he also gave up all those things, but he did it very differently than his brothers. And for him, he was given a promise because he was willing to be able to give up. And this is something we might want to think in our lives. The Lord oftentimes does ask us to give up those little sins that we like to hold on to, you know, or maybe something else in our lives that the Lord wants us to give up. But this is what the Lord said to Nephi. And this is found in 1 Nephi. We're going to be reading chapter 2, 19 through 20. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, Nephi, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith, for thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. And inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper and shall be led to a land of promise, yea, even a land which I have prepared for you, yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. Now this promise becomes kind of a staple promise in the Book of Mormon. We're going to read it over and over and over again. This idea of if you are righteous, you will prosper in the land. 
And along with that, we also have the other side. If you're not righteous, bad things are going to happen. A matter of fact, that's what the Lord says about Laman and Lemuel. And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. For behold, in that day that they shall rebel against me, I will curse them even with a sore curse, and they shall have no power over thy seed, except they shall rebel against me also. And this last verse in verse 24 for me, kind of answers maybe why these brothers also came on the journey. And if it so be that they rebel against me, meaning the Nephites, they shall be, meaning the Lamanites, shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir the Nephites up in ways of remembrance. So what do you think? I know sometimes it's hard to read these verse, you know, these chapters and think, why did they just let Laman and Lemuel stay in Jerusalem? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought of that, too. I thought about some vacations, and it would have been easier to leave a couple of the kids home <laughs> than to bring them with you. But there's a couple of things. So one, I think, as parents, we don't want to give up on our children. If Never. they're struggling, if they don't quite understand, you hopefully lead them along, and you are you hope that someday they're going to come around. But as we read right there in the scripture, that it was to bring and stir up into remembrance of the Lord if the Nephites went astray. And we have to remember there was a time the Nephites were getting wicked and the Lamanites had to bring them to a remembrance of their Lord through righteousness. I also wanted to point out that you were saying that if we're righteous, we prosper in the land. If we're wicked, we're cut off. And I do want us to talk about it for just a minute, that even if you're righteous, trying to do everything you can, that does not mean we're not going to have problems. It doesn't. A matter of fact, prosper might mean different things to different people. It does not necessarily mean prosper financially or prosper in terms of wealth, but it usually does mean, and I know this is the, the proper use of this word, it means to prosper spiritually, that as we live a righteous life, even when we go through hard times, whether it's physical or, you know, money or job or health, that the Lord will be by our side and that we will prosper spiritually and be able to handle the problems that we have in our lives. Because Nephi, this is, you know, this is before they're even gone to the promised land. This is before basically his brother wanting to kill him. And yet the Lord has given him this promise. And I'm sure Nephi is questioning that promise too sometimes saying, you know, where's the prosper, but it's a spiritual prosper. I love that, um, that way of looking at it because prospering means to gain more, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're living righteously, you will gain more of the Lord's spirit, God's power in your life. You'll have more faith. And if we're, breaking the commandments, not keeping the commandments, that we're cut off. That means the Spirit can't be with us, right? Exactly. And we can't keep progressing closer to our Savior. So I love that. Analogy. And we might be able to get more money. We might be able to get more power if when we're unrighteous. But that's not what the Lord is talking about in these verses. Yes, I love that. There also needs to be opposition in all things. And I also love that perspective <laughs> that... Um, you know, the Nephites were a scourge to the Lamanites when the Lamanites were righteous and vice versa. 
And so maybe all of us need a little bit of that opposition in our lives, even though it's difficult. I think we also have to have grace with each other that someday I might be the cranky, obnoxious one. (laughs) And you're the sweet, loving one. And then it changes the next day. And I think we just need to be gracious and loving and try to help each other when we're in any phase. I agree. If we're the ones that are strong right now in our testimonies and there's those around us that are struggling, we're there to love and support them. And the days that we're discouraged and feeling alone or the heavens are closed to our prayers, that they'll be there for us. So that's why I love the community and helping to build each other. Um, Mariana, we were talking about um, if we look at 1 Nephi chapter 3, um, verse 7, I wanted to talk about something just for a moment. And we, all of the primary children could sing this song, I will go, I will do the things the Lord commands. Um, I love that song. I love that song. <laughs> um, but this is the scripture that comes from, of course. It says, um, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. And the Lord will be there with us, even though we may not know the next step. As you were raising your children, did you always have the answer to every problem that came Oh. Um, Definitely not. Definitely not. Every day it was something new. And I think that's any mother or anybody dealing with people in general. That's right. You know, we will have different opportunities, but also different oppositions, different difficulties, problems, issues. You know, but as we look towards the Lord, the Lord can give us the guidance that we need. It might not be the complete answer or the map or, you know... (laughs) The, the complete guideline. <laughs> Instead, it will be just some feelings, some thoughts, and inspirations. But the important thing is, I will do go it. and do it. So this it. year, when we're thinking about, do I have time to read my scriptures? Do I just, I just have too busy of a day? Or if there's anything that the Lord's asked us to do, if it's to go serve as mission leaders, if it's to go help my neighbor who just had a new baby, Whatever it is, if you get a little prompting, just go and do it, and the Lord will prepare the way for you. But that doesn't mean it's easy. A matter of fact, we have you know, this whole idea of murmuring and complaining when we're asked to do something. It is so easy to do. And we do have some examples of people who murmur and complain. The first one, of course, is Laman and Lemuel, who we kind of hear over and over and over again in terms of their murmuring and complaining. But if we go to the end, the last verse of third, uh, First Nephi chapter 3, Laban and Lemuel have just seen an angel that has told them, look, this is what you're supposed to do and stop beating up your brother because he <laughs> wants to go and do it. And so Laban and Lemuel murmur and say, how is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Behold, he is a mighty man and he can command 50, yea, even he can slay 50, then why not us? Now, for me, I think that's an interesting verse because I think sometimes when we complain or murmur, we lose that faith because of fear. We're fearful because of the world. We're fearful because of other people. 
or we can be fearful that we're going to lose money or power or whatever we're fearful of, that will take that faith away from us for being able to do it, just like you were, you were saying. Absolutely. I don't think fear and faith can live together. I don't you have to choose that. one or the other. And our natural man, our instincts, is to be afraid. And so because of that, Nephi, in his response, kind of gives Laman and Lemuel the answer. Now, the first thing that, that he does in his response is he does help Laban and Lemuel to know they do have faith. I love this verse because I think all too often we think, oh, Laban and Lemuel, they are just unrighteous people. You know, they don't believe at all. And in this verse, we know Laban and Lemuel did believe in the Lord. Matter of fact, Nephi kind of reminds them about that. He said, therefore, let us go up. Let us be strong like unto Moses. For he truly spake unto the waters of the Red Sea, and they divided hither and thither. And our fathers came through out of captivity on dry ground. And he goes on to talk to them. And then he says, now behold, ye know that this is true. So Laman and Lemuel knew that this is true. And he also know that an angel has spoken unto you. Wherefore, can ye doubt? Let us go up. The Lord is able to deliver us, even as our fathers, and to destroy Laban, even as the Egyptians. So he's kind of telling them, look, let's have hope. We can do this, definitely. Then what happens is we have this other opportunity to look at murmuring of Sariah. And Sariah is murmuring for a different reason. And for me, this is one that I really relate to, and that is because of family. And sometimes that fear of what's happening to my child will help us to kind of lose faith sometimes. And that's what happens to Soraya. Soraya is worried that her sons are no more. And she had supposed that they had perished in the wilderness. This is chapter five, verse two. And she also complained against my father, telling him that he was a visionary man saying, behold, Thou hast led us forth from the land of our inheritance, and my sons are no more, and we perish in the wilderness. Have you ever had that feeling of fear because of a child? Absolutely. I think if you can take the mildest, meekest mom, and if something is, if your child starts to be bullied or something happens to your child, you will fight to the death for that child. <laughs> your claws come out and... You know, we can't help it. I think we're just taught to to protect our children. And she's thinking, what has happened? Our children have gone back. I'm never going to see them again. You're a visionary man. You don't know what you're doing. So you could see maybe that there could be a weak moment that she could have looked to say, I just don't know what we've done. You know, have we blown it? But she, what happens after that? <laughs> well, when they come back, she rejoices and she changes. And in verse eight, she spake saying, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness, yea, and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. For me, this is such a powerful example that I could really relate to about Sariah having that kind of crisis of faith because she was so worried about her family but then once she gains that eternal perspective, we don't ever see her murmuring or complaining ever again. And for me, what a great example. I did want to just give a, a personal experience. I do understand how Soraya felt. 
when my second child, Amy, was just two years old, she contracted spinal meningitis and was put into the hospital. And I was just so fearful that she was going to die. And the doctor came out and basically said, within the next 24 hours, just be ready because there's a, a real possibility that your, your daughter will not make it through the night. And my husband was standing next to me and he was, I was in tears just uh, beside myself and he was calm and pensive. And initially I kind of felt like Soraya in terms of, you know, how can you react this way? How can you be this way? And he turned to me and he said something that I'll always remember. And he said, Marianna, I prayed about this. And the Lord came to me with peace in my heart, helping me to know that he loves our family. And no matter what happens, our family will be okay. I loved that because his answer wasn't that Amy was going to be okay. But his answer was, it didn't matter what the ending of the story was. The Lord was still there. So I was a little bit like Soraya. <laughs> and I did repent. And I do have to say it did have also a happy ending like Soraya's story as well. Do you know what's interesting about the, both of those stories that just came to me is Soraya was complaining because her husband was visionary. She didn't have the witness of the Spirit that everything was going to be okay. She was looking at all of the worldly fears and trying to reason it out in her mind. Well, look, they haven't come back. And, you know, if we're dwelling on the world instead of looking for the confirmation of the Spirit so we can have peace, I think that scripture that talks about us having peace in this world is because we've had a spiritual witness that the Lord is there with us. And just like your precious story with Amy, your husband had kind of had a vision. He'd had a spiritual witness that things were going to be okay, and you didn't have that yet. I didn't. You were just looking at the, t the doctor and the world around you, and you were afraid, and the Spirit hadn't confirmed to you yet that we need to seek for the Spirit in our lives at all times, that He can give us and bring us the peace that will just bring us comfort no matter what's going on around us. And then we can walk forward as Soraya did with Shirley that things will be okay and we don't have to worry about it anymore. That also reminded me a lot of President Nelson's wonderful talk in October, 2022, where he talked about overcoming the world and finding rest. And that's kind of what we're talking about. He said, um, what does it mean to overcome the world? It means overcoming the temptation to care about the things of this world more than the things of God. It means trusting the doctrine of Christ more than the philosophies of men. It means delighting in truth, denouncing deception and becoming humble followers of Christ. It means choosing to refrain from anything that drives the spirit away. It means being willing to give away even our favorite sins. And that kind of goes along with basically the theme of what we've been talking about is how important it is that we overcome the world in our lives. That also reminds me of another story I had with one of my friends. When I was reading uh, this week's, in this week's lesson, it's 1 Nephi chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, And I was led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. And like you just said from President Nelson telling us that we can have peace and comfort going through, if we, going through this life if we have the Spirit there with us. 
But sometimes we do have to do really, really hard things and we need to have the spirit. But sometimes you have to walk out in the darkness and um, trust that he's going to be there. And you just have to take one little step at a time. And this brought back a memory of mine uh, that I had with one of my dear friends. Her name was Sherry. And um, she was uh, in a very unique situation. She and her brother were very, very close and had a very rare form of cancer. And he needed a bone marrow transplant. And so they started looking for people that could be donors for him. And they looked and looked and looked. And Sherry was the only person who could donate bone marrow. So she willingly did that for her brother. I know it's excruciating to, to donate bone marrow to someone, but she did that for him. And for a while, he got better. Later, a few years later, he came back. And the only person that could donate again to him was his sister. So she did it again, and she donated her bone marrow. Well, he um, had a great prognosis. For the most part, he lived a normal life, and, and to this day, I think he's fine. The crazy thing is, Sherry, a short time after, she became sick with the exact same rare form of cancer, and her brother was the only match for her, and because he was a recipient, he couldn't be a donor. And because she knew that she was going to die, she had no way to get better, she was one that received a witness from the Spirit that things would be okay. And as she looked for the, to the future, she had three little children at the time, and she knew she wouldn't be there for them in their lives when they would get married, when they would go on their first date, when they would have a hard time at school. And because of her faith, when you could, she could have had every right to just pull into herself and say, why is me and why is the Lord, you know, uh, forgetting my family? Instead, she chose faith and to trust in the Lord. And she wrote letters to each of her children. She wrote a letter to each one for them to open the day that they would get married and the day that they would be baptized and the day that they would be ordained a priest. And she looked at their life milestones and she prepared letters so that in the future she could be there for them. And I love that she trusted in the Lord and she was somebody that had to be led by the Spirit, not knowing beforehand what to do. And she followed that, and that has been a priceless treasure for her children, even with her gone. Oh, wow. You know, that is such an amazing story for each one of us, because as we all look forward in our lives, we will all have oppositions. We will all have problems where we have to sacrifice for the Lord. And yet, we can also have that faith that she had, that everything's going to be okay, that we will prosper eternally even if we don't prosper in this life. And our invitation for you today is that you and your own life will find ways to overcome the world, that you will look to the spirit to see what you need to do to be able to overcome those favorite sins that all of us have and see what we can do and do better. Thank you, sisters. We want you to know we love you. We think you're wonderful, and we hope to see you again next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.